Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. And uh, just to piggyback on what Mike said earlier, it was a great evening last night. Thanks to the Lord, we raised over $7,000 last night. Yeah. A couple other things I want to share with you before the message this morning, just so that you can know some of the investments that our church, that you, through your giving, is making around the world. We have the opportunity to uh, support Andrew Walsh again for another tour that he's doing in uh, Asia this coming fall. He's getting ready to leave in August. We supported him last year, $1,000 in As elders, we decided to support him another $1,000 this year as he gets ready to go to Asia under Campus Crusade for Christ. And let me just say that you and I will meet some folks from Asia through his ministry up there in heaven, and uh, we'll be able to say, yeah, we, we helped that missionary get over there so that you could learn about Jesus Christ. So we wanted to let you know about that, and then we also had another opportunity to support and help Pastor Miguel's church in Mexicali, Mexico. Uh, They were very much in need after we helped them get that roof on their church uh, to supply them with some insulation uh, for that church as well. So we sent them $2,300 so that they could put insulation in their church. They have the sweat equity. They have the people that will do the work. It's just obviously they don't have the funds that God has so blessed us with. So I want you to know that as God blesses us, we seek to be a blessing to others as well. And we wanted to let you know about that. And speaking of one more thing about missionaries, uh, next week at the very end of the service, uh, Jenna Pearson, who many of you have met and some of you even support, who's with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is going to be here to just give us a quick update on her ministry. Uh, They just got through their summer camp for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I would just encourage you to continue to pray for Jenna as she travels around the uh, East Valley working with students as well as coaches uh, on many different levels and uh, taking the message of Jesus Christ to our East Valley schools here uh, in, in this area. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 21 this morning. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. We want to look at two different aspects of the Holy Spirit this morning. He is called two different or has two different titles here this morning. He's called the Spirit of Christ because He is the face of Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ is sort of the face of the Holy Spirit to us, but he's also called the Spirit of Christ because he represents Christ, he was sent by Christ, he glorifies Christ, he leads people to Christ. So it's very apt that he is called in the Bible the Spirit of Christ who wants to move in among us. And then we're going to see today that he's also called the Spirit of Glory because he wants to rest Upon us. Let's first look at the Spirit of Christ who wants to move. And, and last week we talked about the fact that the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 2, that in the last days God spoke to us through His Son. 
But before God sent his son, the writer of Hebrews says, in time past, God spoke to us through the prophets, through those who were, in a sense, God's representatives to speak the message that they had been given by God to men. And we're going to pick up on that concept this morning whenever we see in Peter's writings, in 2 Peter 1.21, where he says, For no prophecy, absolutely no prophecy, was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We would call this verse, or one of the verses in the Bible, a verse that teaches us on the doctrine of inspiration. How we got the Bible. And how we know that the Bible is not man's word to man, but it is God's word to man. And he says, absolutely no prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible is not simply someone who foretells something that's going to happen in the future. It's somebody who foretells, if you will, the revelation or message that they've been given by God. So don't always think of the word prophecy as speaking about a future event and a prediction of future events. That's certainly part of prophecy, but the word generally means a a message that is delivered by God's representative, an authoritative message delivered by God's representative. Because as we see here, these men and their prophecies were never about human impulse. In other words, the message that they brought to other men was not their own ideas. They did not bring their own ideas to others. They brought the very mind and revelation of God to us through the Scriptures. How did this take place? How were they able to speak literally the words that God wanted them to say to us and and to others through the Word? They did that because they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit of God basically superintended the whole process from God revealing things to men in a way that they could receive it, be enabled and empowered to not only receive it and absorb it, but then write down the very words that God wanted them to use so that what you and I hold in our hands today, we can say again, very authoritatively, this is the word of God to us. And the words carried along are very important here. They, it means to be continually moved along. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted to do with the prophets and needed to do with the prophets. But guess what? How does this apply to us? The Holy Spirit is still in the business of moving today. And He wants to move each of us at times somewhere. And the movement is primarily not physical. Usually the Holy Spirit's not working on us to move us physically somewhere because to God it's important that we find places and and we can settle down and be settled, if you will, for a while. But most of the time, if the Holy Spirit wants to move us, it's He wants to move us from one point in our spiritual life to another. 
And how do you and I then allow the Holy Spirit to move us? Well, these terms were nautical terms. And they were used in in Bible times to speak about the fact that something could only be moved in a nautical way if like a sailboat, it raised its sails. And so think of it that way. Our responsibility in this is that if we're going to want and, and are willing and allow the Holy Spirit to move us, you and I literally have to sort of raise our sails every day and, and give permission because the Holy Spirit will not force us to move anywhere. He is looking for willing participants in what he's doing here. And, and you and I have to then raise our sails like a sailboat and allow the Holy Spirit literally to carry us or move us along. You see, I believe here today that there may be some folks here today that the Holy Spirit wants to move you. You're here, and He wants to move you here. And see, the the thing is that many times the Holy Spirit wants to move us, but we're not willing to move. We're not willing to either get out of our comfort zone or, or, or attempt something new or go where the Holy Spirit is leading us. So we sort of lock it down. We say, no thanks, Holy Spirit. I'm not budging. I'm not moving. I'm, I'm going to be stiff-necked about this. I'm going to be stubborn about this. I'm not going to allow you to move me. It's important for us as followers of God to always be in a position where if the Spirit of God wants to move us somewhere to do something, that you and I are willing to raise our sails, if you will, and let the wind and breath of the Spirit of God move us just as He did the Old Testament prophets who gave us the very Word of God. So, with that, go to the book of 1 Peter. We sort of worked backwards a little bit this morning. And go to 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter continued, and in a sense did even before he talked about 2 Peter, where he was talking more about the prophets and them bringing the word of God. And, And I saw a few things in here that I really thought it was important for us to be reminded of, of how, again, All of these things can apply to our Christian life as well. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says, Now concerning this salvation, the prophets who predicted the grace that would come to you searched and investigated carefully. They probed into what person or time, and here... He's named now the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified beforehand about the sufferings appointed for Christ and his subsequent glory. They were shown that they were not serving themselves, but you in regard to the things now announced to you through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things angels long to catch a glimpse of. Let's go down through these verses because there's a lot of good stuff here. First of all, notice something. When you and I talk about the moving of the Spirit and and even the raising of our sails, we have to understand again that that it's not like the Spirit is going to do it all. 
He's looking for willing participants, those who will cooperate in the work and not like many Christians who, who in a sense either are waiting for God to do it all and just saying, God, I'm just going to sit here and, and if you want me to go there, then you just do it all. You, you work out every detail, you go through all the effort and I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to do everything. Well, then you and I would be waiting for a long time because that's not how God works. Yes, God wants to move, but He wants to see us partnering with Him and cooperating with Him. And you see this even in the prophets, because notice what it says about the prophets. And there's three words I I specifically want to point out here today. And these are three words that each of us, even as New Testament Christians, it it should describe our life when it comes especially to, to learning to engage with the Spirit and even with the Scriptures that the Spirit inspired. The three words are these, searched, verse 10, investigated, verse 10, and probed, verse 11. You see, these words speak about the effort, if you will, that the prophets uh, gave forth. Even though the Spirit was moving, it wasn't just them letting God do everything. They had to put forth some effort, too, in order to get the maximum benefit out of the way the Spirit was moving in their life. So the word searched and the word investigated speaks about exerting considerable effort and care in learning something. Oh, my goodness. If we as Christians would put forth great effort and care in 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 digging a little bit deeper because, you know, for many, you know, we just want God to serve it up for us on a silver platter. We just want everything on the surface, uh, that low-hanging fruit. That's what we always want. And God is all about, uh, you know, us having enough interest that we're willing to put forth effort because I, I can tell you from my personal experience and 45 plus years of studying the Word of God, the more effort and care I put into the Bible, the more I get out of it. Guess what? The more care and effort I put into my walk with Christ and my Christian life, the more I get out of it. Isn't that amazing how that works even in life? The more effort and care we put into something, the more proficient and and the better we become at something. And yet there's within even this Christian culture today, this this philosophy is, I want to put forth as little effort as possible in my walk with God, and yet I expect to get abundant stuff out of it. I expect an abundant harvest spiritually. I expect abundant fruitfulness in my life, and yet we don't want to put forth the care and the effort that even the prophet did. The word probed here means to make a thorough examination or investigation of something. And I love that word probe because it reminds us even today of, of a, a forensic, you know, person in there or even maybe even a coroner who's looking for the cause of death or something. That's how this word was used in Bible times. It was used of those who are willing to to make thorough examination of something in order to get to the bottom of something. And that's what the prophets did. So yes, the Spirit was moving, but they were putting forth the effort as well. It's also very interesting that this whole concept of searching and investigating and probed was used by the Greeks first of a dog sniffing something with their nose. You and I all have, if we've never been around 
bloodhounds or beagles or had that kind of hound dog ourselves, we've seen enough of them in action to know that's exactly what they do. They stick their nose to the ground and they follow that scent until they get to where they're going. They stick to something long enough and they follow that. And, and the, you know, Peter's saying that that's the kind of effort we need to put forth, the kind of interest we need to have in the spiritual things that the Holy Spirit is moving in our life. Because yes, he will move. We've got to raise our sail, but we've also got to put forth the effort in cooperation and partnership with the Spirit. Something else here about the prophets. Notice in verse 12, it says they were shown by the Holy Spirit that they were not going to serve themselves, but others down through history about the things that they were going to announce and proclaim. Wow. Again, in our culture where it's always about us and where even, you know, our participation in local church and, and being part of, you know, the Christian community, it's like, what, what can it do for me? And it's all about, you know, selfishness and self-absorption and all of that, that the Holy Spirit was saying, now all this effort that you're going to put forth prophets is primarily not for you. Not that you won't benefit, you know, some but it's primarily that God wants to do this in you so that then you can lay out a table, a feast for others to feast on for years and years to come. In fact, that's the picture here. It is a picture of one in which the prophets have spread out a table so that others might feast. Do you realize that's what God wants to do with us? One of the reasons why God wants to move in our life and grow us and mature us is so that he can share this feast with us every day, so that then in turn, we can spread out a table for others to feast on from our lives. That's why he wants us to be people who engage with the Spirit and who are in the Word of God and who pray and who are engaged in that, because it, it allows us to build up, in a sense, our spiritual table, so that when people come by our lives, they have this great feast to feast from. I'm very conscious of that as the pastor of this church. That as I study the Word of God, as I engage with the Holy Spirit, as I worship God throughout my, you know, days and weeks and whatever, that I hopefully am gaining enough that I can lay out a table of food for you on Sundays and Wednesdays so that you can benefit. Well, guess what? God wants to do that with your life, too. He wants you to be in a position with God where you can lay out a table for others to feast from, from your life, you see just as the prophets did. And then one other thing that we fail to remind ourselves of, and that is in verse 12, that you and I as the church are the university for angels. Did you catch what he says there at the end of verse 12? He says this whole thing about salvation and, and, and human beings being redeemed and, and then how God works in us not only to bring us to Christ, but then works through His Holy Spirit in our lives, that this fascinates the angels. That, that the words here speak about continually observing with great interest, inspecting something carefully in order to satisfy their curiosity. That's what the language here means. Now, now think about that in the context of the angels. Where are the angels primarily? Where are they? They're in heaven in the presence of God. And yet, think about what Peter is saying. 
that even though they're in the presence of God in heaven, which would lock down our interest, right? That what God is doing or wants to do or desires to do through his people, the church, piques their curiosity so much that their attention is literally drawn away at times from the things going on in heaven. And they're like, maybe even they have to ask for permission. I don't know, but it's like, God, I want to check out what's going on down there with your people and your church because this fascinates them. Because, see, they've never, they've never been saved like we've been saved. They never had the Holy Spirit of God indwell them like we have the Holy Spirit of God indwell us. And they are absolutely fat. And, and if you want to you say, the angels are attempting to learn more about their God that they're in the presence of, guess how? Through you and I. You see, there's things that the angels still need to learn even though they're in the presence of God. And there's aspects of God's character and His nature that they are learning through the church. How God deals with His people here. How He takes us through the things He takes us through and works with us the way He does. Because again, angels never had this experience. They have a totally different experience with God than you and I. And so Peter is saying, my goodness, church, we need to wake up to the fact that the angels look at us all the time, continually with great interest, wanting us to teach them about God. No wonder we need to be willing to let the Spirit then move us and take us to where He wants to take us, because I'm sure there's times where, as the church, we're teaching angels good and positive things, and I'm sure there's times where the angels are up there going, really, God, you're still working with those people? God, they're so stubborn. They're so hard-hearted. You know, we're standing here in your presence and in your glory, and, and we're amazed, but why do you put up with them the way you do? Why are you so patient with them the way you do? Why do you love them the way that they do when they fill their lives with so many other things and have no regard for you at all? And, and yet, when we are engaged with God, there's so much, even when we're not obedient, but especially when we are obedient, that the angels are learning about their God through us. And then, not only do we need to talk about the Spirit of Christ who wants to move us, but we need to talk about the spirit of glory that wants to rest upon us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and look beginning with me at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Dear friends, beloved by God and me, Peter says, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ, so that when His glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. Now, in the context, 
Peter is primarily talking to Christians about their suffering for the cause of Christ or for the name of Christ. But the principles can be expanded to speak about any trial, any tribulation, or any season of suffering we are going through. And I bet here this morning that there are some of you who are going through a trial, a tribulation, a season of affliction or suffering in your life. And you and I need to be reminded of these truths here. And what are some of them surrounding the spirit of glory that rests on us that you and I need to be reminded of, just like we needed to be reminded of some things about the spirit of Christ that moves? Well, the first thing is this. Notice again in verse 12, he says, My fellow Christian, why are you astonished that you're going through a trial? In fact, he goes on to say, why do you think it's strange? And yet, as Christians, when God allows a trial or a season of suffering or something to come into our life, what do many of us as Christians do? God! That's not supposed to be right. When I accepted Christ as my Savior I, and, and I became a Christian, a father, I, I thought my life was supposed to be, you know, you, just, you were just supposed to lay it out there and I was just supposed to walk through this nice you know, peaceful, you know, just everything laid out just the way I want it, right? No. No, God never said that life, even with Him and being a faithful follower of Him, was going to be without its trials. The word astonished means to be taken by surprise or shocked. Peter is saying to this group that he's talking to, Why are you shocked that as Christians, you're going through trials? Why do you think it's new or unheard of, which is what the word strange means, that these things are happening to you, that they are outside of God's providence or his eternal purpose in your life? Why do you think that's strange? See, if anything, the longer we go between trials and afflictions and adversities, and then we ought to be thinking, well, what's what's going on? Because I haven't had a trial for a while. So I guess the first thing would be we have a misunderstanding of life many times even as Christians. Because somehow we got in our brains a long time ago as a Christian that being a Christian means I don't have to go through trial. No, that's a misunderstanding of life from God's perspective. Secondly, notice not only... Should I expect trials? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But then he says, oh, and my attitude and my response to my trial should be that I rejoice. Are you crazy, God? But we again have to understand what it means to be joyful and rejoice. And I'll I'll start out by saying it this way. The word for joy in the Greek language is the word kara, C-H-A-R-A. The word for grace in the Greek language is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Very close, right? So when the Bible says that you and I as Christians should be filled with joy in spite of the trials that we go through, or be a rejoicing Christian always, even when I go through trials, it's speaking about understanding that I can be glad or delight in the grace of God that I am given that is more than sufficient to meet whatever trial or adversity or, uh, you know, problem has come my way. That's how I can rejoice. 
Because I know that the provision of God, and we're going to get to that even more, is more than enough to meet and match and go beyond whatever trial I am going through. That's why I can rejoice. Not that I have absence of trials in my life, but that I know that the provision that God has given me is more than enough to help me to navigate those trials. That's why you and I can even come to church sometimes, even when we don't feel like it. And we can worship and praise the Lord because we are delighting and so glad for God's grace. Because where would we be without it? And yet with His grace, there's nothing that you and I can't handle with God's grace. By the way, this reminds me of something, and this is what I love about our worship here at the Oasis. It's something we try to teach through our worship. It's something I try to teach us about worship is that many Christians think that worship is what we use to lead us to encounter God. But that's not biblical. Worship doesn't lead us to encounter God. Worship is encountering God. There's a difference. And that's why many churches today... And that's why most churches today struggle even with getting people to come in spite of the talent and the skill and all the stuff that they have going on on stage. Because all of that, humanly speaking, all that demonstration of what humans can do really doesn't hit where we as humans need to be hit. The reason we come to church is so we can meet with God. So that God can meet with His people. And there's too many churches that exist today where people could flood into all those seats and they could leave and go, I never had an encounter with God. I never felt God's presence. I never sensed that He was there. I never met Him. I never connected with Him. Because that's what we truly need as human beings. We don't need any more entertainment. We don't need a demonstration anymore of human skill and human talent on a stage. What we need as human beings is we need to meet with God. And that's what worship is, my friends. Then he says this, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you are assailed with abusive words, you ever been abused for Jesus Christ? It also means to speak despairingly of somebody in a manner not justified. You ever been spoken about even though it wasn't justified? Well, guess what? He says, you're blessed. Because not only do many times as Christians, we have a misunderstanding of life because we think trials are something we should not go through. But we also have a very big misunderstanding of what it means to be blessed by God. Because for many Christians today, if you ask them, what's it mean to be blessed by God? They would say, the absence of hardship, the absence of adversity, the absence of trials. That's what it means to be. When everything's going good in my life, then I know God has blessed me. No, the Bible teaches us that even when things aren't going well for my life, I've got to understand I'm blessed. Why am I blessed? Because again, the provision that God will give me in my trial, in my adversity, in all that I'm going through, even my prolonged season of suffering is more than enough to navigate whatever I go through. That's why I'm blessed. It's not 
everything going well in my life. It's that even when my life is falling apart and everything may not be going well, that my relationship with God and my connection with God and the indwelling Holy Spirit in my life and the power that God gives me through His Spirit and the Word that He gives me and all of these things and my brothers and sisters in Christ are more than enough of a resource for me to be an overcomer, to be more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. Which is why then he ends in verse 14 by saying, we are blessed because the spirit of glory, literally the weight of God's presence can rest upon us. Are you at rest this morning in spite of the season you may be going in? You see, the Bible, God says it's possible that men are speaking to us the very words of God because they allow the Holy Spirit to move them. And as the Holy Spirit moved them to write these words, some of the words that they wrote down were that the Holy Spirit will give us sort of a supernatural special provision when we're going through trials and tribulations and seasons of suffering. That the Holy Spirit will even be more sensitive to us and what we go through, and He will literally seek to rest on us, just like the Shekinah glory cloud rested on the tabernacle. It is the very presence of God that will literally sort of enrobe us or envelop us and surround us. And you and I, if we are connected to the Spirit and we are willing for the Spirit to be a part of our lives like He wants to be, we will feel His presence. The weight of the very glory and presence of God will abide on us. And that's how Christians then are able, even in trials, even in tribulations, even in seasons of suffering to be able to walk around with joy in their heart, a smile on their face, hope in their life. Because the very presence of God through His Holy Spirit is resting. See, you and I can be at rest within the Spirit at all times. That's what the Bible's teaching. At all times, no matter what we go through, it is possible through, for us, through the Holy Spirit, to be at rest by allowing Him to rest on us. Today, I truly believe that there's at least a few people here, specifically, that the Holy Spirit wants to move you. He wants to take you from point A to point B spiritually in your life. And maybe you've been sort of kicking and screaming and wrestling and not, you know, giving in to letting the Spirit move you. I want to encourage you today, let the Spirit move you. I know what that's like. And I even know what it's like to wrestle with the Spirit when He wants to move. I remember, and it seems like yesterday, even though it was like 40-some years ago, I remember being in a seat, just like you, listening to a message from a pastor. 
And I knew, I knew in my heart the Holy Spirit wanted me to surrender to be a pastor. I knew that. And can I tell you, even though I fought it for a little bit of time, when I finally gave in, it was the most amazing feeling in all my life. And, and not that we primarily go by feelings, but it just, it was that, it was that real. I, I could literally like feel like, oh, there was such relief that I had finally given in. And then, a little over eight and a half years ago, similar position. I know the Holy Spirit wants me to start a church. I'm telling God, yes, I'll, I'll confess and admit it. I'm telling God and everyone else who's telling me that that's a good idea, I should do that, that you're crazy. I do not want to do this. It's the last thing I want to do. And yet the Holy Spirit kept moving and working and applying that gentle pressure. And finally I said, yeah, you're right. I won't be happy until I give in. Holy Spirit, come move me. Now, some of you here today, it's not primarily a message for you about moving you. It's a primarily a message about you finding rest in your life right now and allowing the Holy Spirit to rest on you so that you can finally be at rest, even in the midst of your trials and troubles and adversity and seasons of suffering. Because through the Holy Spirit... Again, a child of God can always be at rest when we allow the Holy Spirit to rest on us. Will some of you, who it's been a long time since you would truly say, I am at rest, would you open up to the Holy Spirit today who is more, more than enough and allow Him to rest on you so that you can experience the rest of God. Would you stand with me as our worship team comes and as we close this portion of our service today? God, I truly pray that those that you want to specifically move today, God would be willing to move with the leading of your Holy Spirit. And God, those that truly need to experience your rest today, in spite of maybe a season of prolonged trials and tribulations, would allow your Spirit, your very presence, the weight of your presence, God, to fall upon them in such a way that they could finally, finally be at rest. It's possible. But we've got to be willing to cooperate and partner with the Holy Spirit. We have been reminded today that the provision of God through His Holy Spirit is more than enough for us to be able to even rejoice and be filled with joy even when others are abusing us and speaking slanderous words about us. It can be to that level. And so I pray today, God, that those who need your rest would find it today. Those who need to move in some way would be willing to be moved 
today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.